Uh, hi, everybody. This is David Rose, author of Spent Shell Casings, and uh, my broadcast bringing to you today is a unique broadcast because up until now, I've been um, speaking to uh, other authors. Um, I've been speaking to other veteran business owners within social media and some guys who I deployed with. Today, um, I have with me a guest who is a co-worker of sorts, and uh, I'm going to introduce him shortly. But first, uh, I write for a website about 18 months now called Operator as Fuck. Now, we have been somewhat abbreviated to OAF Nation, and the reason is is because Facebook was killing our uh, paid reach. So we went with the acronym. But OAF Nation still means Operator as Fuck. Just a quick lesson to those out there that uh, aren't in the military. The term operator simply means someone that is a practitioner in uh, special operations military. This could be a Navy SEAL, an Army Ranger, a Green Beret, or a Force Recon Marine. So operator as fuck is populated by several men who are former uh, American special operations practitioners. And that leads me to this guy. And he's going to, uh, I'm going to introduce him uh, uh, as his pen name, the pen name that he has written for uh, with OAF for quite a while now. Grifter, how are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Oh, good, man. I'm glad to have you on. So uh, I, I just spoke about OAF a good, a good 30 seconds. Um, do you uh, want to just kind of tell the folks listening? how uh, you got started with, with OAF, and maybe just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, about two years ago, uh, in March of 2014, uh, I was working in Afghanistan on a contract, um, and I had been working on the same contract as uh, HNIC of OAF Nation. He had started the website, and he had gotten quite a bit of traction as a, uh, as a satire site. And uh, that job had rolled up. Um, the client actually left Afghanistan. The job was completely over. And this was kind of at the end of the global war on terror as we knew it. Um, and I kind of took a, took a minute and, and saw what was happening around me as far as guys losing their job and finally you know, losing what they knew best. And I wrote about that in a piece called When the Music Stops. And that uh, seemed to have resonated with not just myself and a few others but uh several million people um yeah it was quite staggering to see the the uh the reach that 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 piece had gotten and still gets to this day i the last time i checked it i think i'm still getting comments on that that piece uh as a as a poignant um observation of of kind of the the end of a a culture uh, end of what you know i of that what i've been doing my entire adult life um, and kind of having to figure out a new identity. And, and my entire tenure at OAF Nation has been me trying to find uh, something else to do with my time besides sit on the porch and uh, yell racial epithets at people uh, <laughs> via Gran Torino, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, uh, when the music stops was um – I should say, I should let everyone know, uh, I was a fan of OAF prior to being a writer, so I have this interesting perspective of seeing things on both sides of the fence. And uh, when the music stops, was sort of this shot heard around the world, so to speak, about, as Grifter was saying, sort of like the end of an era, really, like good writing does, uh, in retrospect, it sort of encapsulates something. And uh, and so, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was sort of your uh, uh, launching into OAF, 
uh, as, it was, as it was. one of, the, it, it, one it, of it, the early writers. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, and it, and it, it, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but it also took OEF Nation in a direction that it originally hadn't been meant to go. It had originally been meant to just kind of satire the funnier moments of uh, the special operations community and, uh, you know, funny memes and, and the occasional t-shirt, and it's turned into this huge movement. It's turned, operator as fuck has turned from a, has, has gone from, a, you know, an, an adjective to an attitude. And uh, I think now, uh, especially with the, the new clothing line we just launched, I think it's, it's we're starting to kind of um, create our own identity. And with the, with a few pieces that, that we've written, um, especially the most recent piece that's come out, the, uh, the vet lag piece, we finally kind of found our, our feet as far as what we're trying to accomplish. I've been trying to, uh, trying to change the landscape of the veteran community for a long time, but to be honest, I really didn't know how to do that. I knew that I didn't want to be seen as a victim culture and seen as a, as a, as a group of broken um, uh, utilities that nobody wanted to use anymore because the war was over. Um, and I didn't yeah, want to be seen yeah. as a victim. I didn't want to be that asshole with the sign up my front yard telling people not to use fireworks. You know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to <laughs> yeah. That's you know, one of our, uh, that's one of our high value targets. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't yeah, want to be that guy with the, the flag on his hat and the beard and telling everybody what a, what a badass I am in my college classes. I don't want us to be seen as, as vital members of society and not, and, and, and as, as assets to society, not liabilities. And it took you coming on for, for us to kind of realize the direction we wanted to go as far as making that happen. Well, yeah, I really appreciate that, and it's something uh, I kind of want to rewind just a minute. Is that um, when you're talking about how OAF went from uh, sort of a funny, spoofy type thing to something very having a very serious component? Is I think one of the things that makes OAF interesting as a platform is that there's sort of this bipolarity to the platform, and I think that that is a really, without even trying to, it's a really accurate portrayal of uh the ground combat world you know is it, is it there there's there's the super sad the super funny the super serious the super childlike and uh it's really interesting to see that that we sort of ended up reflecting that in oaf kind of accidentally you know <laughs> oh yeah and, and oh, listen yeah, sure. and, and kind of bridging bridging into that real quick as far as some of the, the uh, uh, super silly and, I, and maybe this maybe super silly is not the correct label but there's definitely some oddities if you will that come with um, the ground pounders that a lot of people they don't realize everybody sees Chris Kyle and they think we wake up with a dip in our mouth and we you know, do 20 push-ups and recite the Star Spangled Banner you know is it or, uh, uh, so one of the things that I come to find out incidentally you and I have in common is a, is a, a fanaticism for uh, the late, great author H.P. Lovecraft. Am I right? Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I, uh, I'm actually getting ready to get a Cthulhu tattoo uh, cover a good two-thirds of my arm. Uh, how did you I'm, get I'm just, into love? How how did you get into Lovecraft? Was it something um, in the Marines? Was it in childhood? No, no. I've, uh, I've always been a purveyor of the occult. And of, of the paranormal, not not one of these guys that goes out with the radio wave detectors and hunts ghosts and stuff. But I've always been interested in, in, in cults and and people that uh, you know, um, people that claim to uh, see the future and, and believe in my, you know Sasquatch and all that stuff. I'm not saying I believe in it, but it's always interested me. And um, yeah, 
I had come across several books um, that always mentioned, uh, you know, H.P. Lovecraft. So I decided uh, last year to just sit down and finally start reading stuff. I was blown away by it. Uh, he was definitely ahead of his time, which is probably why he ended up dying, you know, alone and penniless. And it wasn't until decades <laughs> later when his, his works were revered as as some of the most uh, prolific uh, horror and cosmic terror um, stories. And one of the neat things about HPL is that none of, and, and most of his stories, essentially nothing happens, which is really cool. It's mostly it's most of the time some guy sitting in his in his study writing his last letter and talking about events of the past that led him to this current state. And that at the end yeah, of this letter, it's a lot I'm of probably not going to be alive anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, he's, he's, he's really good at the backstory. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. very good at it. And very rarely in, in his in his bibliography does he have anything where there's, um, you know, a first person account of something happening in the current. It's always this past event that this main character. It's usually told in the first person uh, style is talking about, and I think that speaks volumes as to his talent for storytelling, not just writing, but storytelling. And it's just, it's yeah, blown yeah. me away. Um, and one of the things, one of the um, things that I take away from his, his entire body of works as a whole is the insignificance of, one, uh, of humanity. And I don't mean that uh, as, as people don't matter. I mean that as um, in the grand scheme of things, in the cosmic scheme of things, in the global scheme of things, you, as an individual, do not matter. You are insignificant. And that, there's, a, there's something that's very terrifying about that, you know? Yeah, it's a, I, I think it's also somewhat, like, it is terrifying, but it's also somewhat liberating. I think some of the, the hashtag warriors out nowadays really need to kind of come to grips that uh, they're not special little snowflakes, you know? And maybe, yeah, maybe, 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 maybe the uh, 90s born millennials all need to read a little bit of Lovecraft, right? <laughs> and so, hey, yeah. that actually bridges, it, bridges me into my third and final topic. Got a couple minutes left. Uh, the issue of social justice lawyers. I'm going to leave that floor open. What's your thoughts? Um, you know, and, and the, the, the notion of social justice lawyers, to me, um, is a noble one. Don't get me wrong. There is something to be said because if there weren't if there weren't social justice wars, we'd have never had Gandhi and Martin Luther King and these these icons of civil uh, civil rights and and changing the landscape of how people are treated in the world. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing that. My point of contention are these little assholes that sit on their computer every day and hashtag this that and the other and aren't open to any other opinions about it. I think the most recent one that I kind of pulled my eyes out was the hashtag give Captain America a boyfriend thing. I'm not a homophobic by any stretch of the imagination. However, um, these are the same people, these, these people want to appropriate a, a character that's been around for 75 years and has been straight for 75 years. Um, mm -hmm. These are also the same people that um, several months before were calling uh, Iron Fist, the, the Marvel Comics character Iron Fist, an appropriation of Chinese culture because he's a white guy learning Kung Fu. And I think that there's a lot of hypocrisy uh, in the social justice movement where it's, um, you don't just need to tolerate my, my, my sexual orientation or my, my preferences of X, Y, and Z. You have to bow down to it. And I think that there's something fundamentally wrong with that mindset. I would never walk into a room with a special interest of some kind and demand that everybody else in the room cater to me. Um, 
Yeah, I would only yeah. demand that I'm allowed to go into that room and be allowed to eat the same food, drink the same drinks as everyone else. I would never make anybody else listen to my beliefs and, and, and cater to what I believe in. And I think that's something fundamentally wrong with the next generation. I hate to sound like the old guy on the porch, but there's, there's this, this, this movement and this, this trend nowadays where people think that what they believe is right and that they don't want to hear somebody else's opposing opinion, but you better listen to theirs or you're uh, a racist or a bigot or a misogynist or whatever term they learned in their gender studies classes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting. It seems like I, I, I've used the term that the, uh, uh, the, um, oppressors nowadays are in the old liberators uniform. You know, liberalism used to mean something very, very good. And, and now I'm starting to question the term, you know, but Hey, that's yeah. about it for us, man. I really appreciate you coming on. This is uh grifter, one the founding writer for operator as fuck, a uh, Marine combat veteran, comic book aficionado and a fan of a little bit of cosmic indifference. And uh, I'm David Rose, again, author of Spent Shell Casings. You can pick it up wherever ebooks are sold, or you can snag a paperback, uh, Amazon, Books a Million, and Barnes and Noble. All right, man. Thanks for coming on again. Thanks a lot, man. You can check me out at OFNation.com on the header feed, um, or you can check our Facebook page out and our Instagram out for uh, the most recent up to date jokes and funnies that we throw up there. And there's going to be plenty of it. All right, guys. Oh, yeah. Have a good Bye, one. Man.